very much for the uh, welcome to the SRHE uh, this morning. Uh, I think quite a lot of what I'm going to say this morning picks up on the prefacing comments from Penny Jane and then picks up directly in some of the comments from David. But I'm going to come at that from a very different point of view. I'm going to come at that from the point of view of what students themselves have to tell us about the kinds of transitions that they make in, through and beyond university. Uh, the project that I'm speaking about today has a, a shelf life of 12 years. <coughs> Back in 2004, with my colleagues Vivian Cree and Lynn Tett, we decided to track a group of non-traditional students coming into a nameless elite university in Scotland uh, with HNC and HND qualifications. So it was the first time that the university in question had actually admitted students to humanities and social sciences from FE colleges. And we thought, wouldn't it be fascinating to track those students over the lifetime of their degrees to see what their experiences were and to distill out what we could learn about how best to support non-traditional students in an, an elite academic institution. So the project was very specifically designed to be longitudinal. Uh, it had two phases. It started, oh, oh dear, that's not what I meant to do. It started, no, I have no light. Do I have a light? The first phase ran from 2004 to 2008. And what we did was we took the cohort of students who'd come in to the university with HNC and HND qualifications, and we interviewed them five times over the course of their degree programme. We interviewed them twice in first year and then once each in second year, third year and fourth year. So those students were admitted to the university in 2004. We wrote seven papers on the basis of those research projects. Interestingly, only one of those papers, which actually is published this month in Studies in Higher Education, only one of those papers is actually longitudinal. All the other papers look at snapshot data from students in the particular year cohort in which they were at. But the final paper out this year uh, is, is a longitudinal study where we're tracking individual students over the course of their lifetimes. Uh, and it's called It All Just Clicked. In 2014, Lynn and Viv and I were having coffee, as you do with your research collaborators, and we said it's 10 years since that cohort of students registered at the university. Wouldn't it be fascinating to find out what they have done 10 years on? And thus, a new research project was born. And what we did in the second phase of this research over the last uh, 18 months was we went back to our original cohort. The original cohort had 45 students in it. Uh, we contacted them via the alumni office and we asked those students, or those graduates now, if they would be willing to take part in another follow-up interview with us. We got 15 students. Uh, we interviewed them once, we did that by telephone, and what we were doing in the course of that interview was asking them to reflect both on their time at university, but then on what they had done after they left university. So it comes, it gives us this longitudinal <coughs> overview of the, of the richness, the messiness, the complexity of the kinds of transitions that those uh, students and graduates had been through. So the research questions, well the first project was pretty much asking how did the students fare. In the follow-up study we asked these three different questions. The question I want to focus on today is this final one. What impact have their university experiences had on their later professional and personal lives? So basically what did they do 
in the six years after they left university. Now, this proved to be really good timing. Uh, six years is enough of a time period for the graduates to have moved in and through different jobs in the labour market, for them to have thought about what they want from the future careers, for them to have undertaken more qualifications, as we'll see, and for them to have developed a sense of just how important, and as we'll see, how transformative their university experiences had been for them. Headline finding from this study is, university changed their lives. This is, a really, this is a really lovely piece of work because it's so, it's so damn positive. But in saying that, there were 45 students in that initial cohort. When we went back to them, we only got 15 signing up. Who are the people who are going to talk to you about what's happened to them six years after graduation? They're the, they're the people who've got good stories to tell. So there's an issue there about the, positive, the potentially positive bias of the sample. Now, we actually went back through the original interview transcripts with the students. Uh, and what they told us post-graduation was appreciably more positive than the stories that they had told us during the actual time that they were at university. So that's something to bear in mind. Okay, so uh, what does the research literature tell us about graduates in the labour market? Well, three different themes come out, I think. We're all aware, well, well aware of the graduate premium. Nobody could possibly have missed the headline figures from the Institute for Fiscal Studies recent reports. Uh, the graduate premium is particularly important for women. Uh, and the most recent research has shown what many of us have argued for a long time, that social class still matters in the graduate labour market. So it's been demonstrated quantitatively that if you come from a more advantaged social class background, the premium that accrues to you in the graduate labour market is more than if you come from a less advantaged background. Allied to that, of course, is the fact that the graduate labour market is highly stratified. Now, one of the things I was very struck by when I started to look at the work on graduates in the labour market was how so much of it focuses on high-end jobs, what's happening at the top end of the labour market, the prestigious, middle-class, secure occupations. I think that there's much less known about what happens at the lower end of the labour market. And allied to that, we've got very little qualitative evidence about the experiences of non-traditional students once they go into the graduate labour market. Uh, and I know my study is very, very small. It's only 15 students. But we're going to cast some light on those questions about the graduate labour market uh, in a second or two. All good? So let's then look at what we found on the basis of the interviews that we did with the students. So the first question that we wanted to answer was, did, 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 did doing the degree bring labour market advantage? Well, of the 15, 12 were in the graduate labour market. Now, that's a self-identified graduate labour market. You know, we asked them, is this a job that you needed a graduate level qualification for? And they said yes. But we did cross-check, and the jobs that they were in do now require uh, a degree. Interestingly, all of them were in jobs allied to the public sector and social care. Now, in some ways, that's a consequence of the particular qualifications that they did in the college sector and the degrees that they then came in to do at the university. They had all come in with HNC or HND qualifications in social care, for example. They were clustered in certain degrees in the university, and it won't be any surprise to hear that they were clustered in very vocational degrees, degrees that were quite unusual in the context of a Russell Group 
university. So where were they? Social work, community education, teaching uh, and childhood studies. And of the 15 that we had in this study, only two of them had undertaken what you would call more conventional degrees, one in sociology and social policy and one in psychology. Now hang on to that, we're going to come back to those two students later on. So jobs linked to the public sector and social care, uh, immediately we're thinking which end of the graduate labour market are these students in? They're in less well-paid, less prestigious jobs in the graduate labour market. Okay, uh, we asked students, or we asked the participants then in more detail about this uh, desire that they had to go to university and whether they thought that would bring them any labour market uh, investment. They regarded their time at university as, as an investment for the future. Now that's a quote that came up time and time and time again, this idea of, of the degree as an investment. Now that links very directly to the points that David was making about credentialisation. There was a sense, a strong sense amongst this uh, cohort of students that if they were going to get established in any kind of profession, they needed a degree to make that possible. Now, for some of them, they were in established professions and they needed the degree to remain in post or to get promoted. Now, that's very interesting. Uh, eight of the participants in this study had done degrees in childhood studies. They started those degrees in 2004. That corresponded with the time at which nursery care education became regulated in Scotland. I'm not sure what the issue, I'm not sure uh, what the comparable status is in England. But basically, we had eight students in this cohort who were doing childhood studies degrees. They felt they had to go to university to satisfy the new regulatory requirements for a professionalised work service. Uh, so there's an example of a job that's newly professionalised, newly credentialised, but that remains very low paid, but is in the graduate labour market. And here's the matching between our non-traditional students and the lower end of the labour market. It's very common, as number 24 here pointed out, to say that they needed the degree to progress the degree, or they needed the degree to progress within the career that they were in. So they knew they couldn't either stay in their chosen career without uh, going, back, going to university for the first time to get a degree, and they certainly couldn't get promotion if they wanted their degrees to develop. So a very important aspect there of, of how they needed the degree in order to stay in their current jobs. So there's no direct labour market, no direct financial benefit to those students because in the first instance they were all in jobs, they, they all retained the same status in the labour market. Okay, second way in which they saw the degree as an investment for the future was if they had a desire to move into a new profession which required a degree. Now this is candidate number three. She went to university to do a degree in social work. At the start of her time she was employed uh, as a temporary worker in the access team in the local council. But the council sponsored her through the degree. Now they didn't make any financial sponsorship but they, they, they committed uh, time for her to study for her degree and the deal was that as soon as her degree came through then she tripped over, she tipped over into a social work post. So there were the candidates for whom they wanted to move into a new profession and they knew that they needed a degree to do that. Typically, we're talking about students who are doing social work and teacher training. 
And sometimes that investment was a two-stage process. We had quite a lot of participants who went to university to do a first degree, typically in childhood studies. We had a lot of childhood studies uh, students in this cohort. But they went to do a first degree. They then saw that there were other opportunities open to them as a consequence of having done that degree that they hadn't imagined belonged to them before they actually, before they actually started their degrees. And for many of the students, uh, that was an aspiration towards becoming a teacher. So they talked about how that investment was a two-stage process. They had to go to university first to get the undergraduate qualification, to give them confidence uh, in themselves and to give them the academic skills that they thought they would then, that, that, that would then enable them to get access to teacher training. Teacher training, of course, is very competitive to get into and they felt that they wouldn't have had the skills or the experience uh, or the knowledge to get into that as a first degree. So quite often this investment was a two-stage process. So uh, Cansley at 37, she used that first degree to move forward in, to, in her career and she used it to further herself into teaching. And she, contrary to what Penny said, she talks about this logical linear progression that she went through. I went from college level qualification to my undergraduate degree at university to then my postgraduate qualification and here I am, I'm a teacher and didn't I do good? Now, remember I said um, earlier on that we had two students in this cohort who did not read for professionally, uh, professional or for, for more vocational degrees. We had one who did psychology and social policy or one who did sociology and social policy and one who did psychology. Interestingly, of the three students who did not get any labour market advantage, uh, they included those two students who had done more traditional degrees. This is number two, actually. This is the only man in our follow-up study. I've not used my degree as yet. He was working as a council official in an administrative post. He says, I know everybody's in the same boat, but I've not used the degree in seven years now. He says he's overqualified, underemployed for his qualifications. Uh, the other student who did psychology was in a situation where she had to become a carer for her elderly mother. So she was restricted to uh, undertaking voluntary work. But she said she expressed a level of regret that I've not majorly went forward with her degree. Now, let's think back to what this terribly small number of two students tells us about the graduate labour market and that process of matching students or matching graduates with different kinds of attributes to graduate level work. A lot's been written about how more advantaged students can develop the social and cultural capital that enables them to get access to the better sectors of the graduate labour market. Now, I know it's only two students, but I would suggest that for those two students who'd worked their way through their whole time at university, they weren't in a position to build up that kind of social and cultural capital that becomes part of the mechanism through which graduates get matched to jobs in different sectors of the labour market. Okay. We wanted to ask the participants as well about the wider benefits to themselves and to their families. So we weren't just interested in what happened to them in the labour market, we were interested in how their identities had changed. And again, that comes back to all the comments that, that Penny and David have, have already opened up for us.
it was really, really, really fascinating to talk to these participants. As I say, there were 15 of them. Guess how many of them had undertaken further study or CPD type activities? Any takers? Ten. Ten of them had undertaken at least another postgraduate qualification or undertaken CPD. Now, obviously, quite a lot of them are in careers where ongoing CPD is a requirement. But they didn't perceive that as onerous. That was something that they very much welcomed. University, as I put in my title, had opened up so many doors to them. Uh, and I really, really like this quote here from number three. She found that she had the knowledge bug. Now, she was the only person to use that phrase, knowledge bug, but that was an enduring theme across all 15 of these respondents. They talked about how university had made them learn to love learning. It was as simple as that, that um, there was a whole world out there that had been opened up to them and they wanted to find out more. And that meant that they would keep on learning, even though that formal process of having completed an undergraduate degree had come to an end. So again, it's one of the, the really lovely findings from this study. So questions then about how their identities have changed in and through that process of going to university. Questions too about what kind of thinkers they had become. Again, a really strong theme that runs through all the research interviews was how they now saw themselves as reflective or critical thinkers. The kind of thing that we're crying out to make our undergraduates into, isn't it? You know, what you, you talked about autonomous learning, but one of the other uh, things that we say we're trying to support in uh, degree programs is that ability to be independent, critical, reflective thinkers. This lot had it in spades, uh, and they saw that as a real benefit of the time that they had spent in uh, higher education. Uh, number four, they said, she, when she went, she wasn't sure what she could achieve. Uh, she hoped that she would learn and think a different way, and it happened. Fantastic. And she said there was this huge difference in her after she'd finished her first degree in how she thought about things. Now, again, that was a common finding across these respondents as a whole. Uh, that sense of the, the, the real transformative power of the degree for this group of uh, undergraduate, or this group, this group of students. <coughs> now, they learned to think and write in different ways. And that was allied to how they saw themselves as changing, how they saw their lives changing. And the key feature that came out in all of these discourses was about confidence. They saw their time at university as having filled them with confidence. <coughs> you know, and that's, that's the comment that number 60 made. Being at university fills you with confidence. Apart from having family, getting a degree is probably the best feeling in the world. Now, that was particularly powerful for nearly all of these students because the majority of them had been failures during their time at school. These are the returning students who had had pretty bad experiences of secondary school education uh, and who were coming back and making good and showing just how transformative higher education can be. 
So this idea about confidence was a very powerful theme. They believed in themselves. They believed in their views. And what was important about that was that it got them thinking a bit wider and about the bigger picture. Now, again, that comes out time and time and time again in these interviews. And it goes back to the comments I was making about them becoming critical thinkers. They had learnt that to analyse the situation, whether it was something in their personal lives or their uh, working lives, they had to stand back. They had to gather evidence. They had to make sense of that evidence. They had to interpret it. They had to see the bigger picture. And for them, that was a key skill that, oh, that was a key skill that they had developed during, during, during the time at uni. about confidence is so important that I've pulled out a couple more uh, a couple more quotes from the students about it. Uh, that newfound confidence and if you like that key graduate attribute that they had developed during the time at university was something that had a direct impact on their working lives. Uh, for number 37 it helped her to understand her colleagues where they're coming from. She could see the bigger picture, she could see their different perspectives. It leads you to be clear about perspectives. She's a better leader. She's better at working in teams. How fabulous. Um, and that confidence spilled over into their personal lives too. Uh, they said that being at university had taken them outside of their comfort zone because it had taught them to think in different ways about themselves and about the situations that they find themselves in. Uh, and it helps, I suppose, with your personal life, your work life, your relationship. So it's back to this idea that higher education for this group of non-traditional students have been genuinely transformative. Now, we hear a lot uh, in debates, in the white paper as well, about social mobility, about how we want more, more young people uh, and people who didn't go to university first time around to have that opportunity to read for a degree now because of the social mobility that it confers both on themselves and on their households. So we're quite interested in some of those debates about social mobility and again I've pulled out a number of quotes that illustrate some of the themes that were important there. Um, now we would argue that the degree did confer social mobility on the participants, albeit for a number of them into a very restricted section of the graduate labour market. They were able to move into better positions in the labour market and, as this participant shows, they were able to affect change in the housing market as well. This student said, you know, we were able to move on, we were able to afford a bigger mortgage and that was because she had moved into a better paid job. Uh, on the bike of getting her degree. She says she knows that sounds really middle class, but actually I wouldn't have been there if I hadn't done what I'd done all those years ago. And what had she done all those years ago? She'd gone to university. So there's that degree of um, household mobility about the cohort. That mobility had implications too for the families of the respondents. 
nearly all of these 15 respondents had young family, young children, when they were at university. And they talked very coherently about how their love of studying had inspired their children to follow in their footsteps. She can inspire, the number 38 talked uh, very graphically about how she had inspired her children to have a love of learning. And she talked about the opportunities that that opened up for them, that they could see now that they didn't have to stay local, stay at home and look out for mum, that they too could go off to university uh, and that their horizons would be broadened as a result of that. Uh, number 38 was very interesting actually, she was back at university doing a PhD because she loves learning so much. Uh, this is another candidate, number 41. Uh, again, she talked about how her time at university had been enormously positive for her son because he wanted to go to university. And something I didn't mention was the pride that all of the respondents had that they had been to an elite university, that somebody like them had gone to this elite university and they were so proud of that, so incredibly proud of that. And we can come back, if you like, later to questions about how they, how they developed a sense of belonging when they were othered within that institution. But um, it was very clear from the respondents that they still moved in sectors, they're still, they still moving in social services where the parents were not necessarily educated. And for number 41, she was her son was really proud that his mum had been to university when a lot of his friends' mums hadn't. So social mobility for the individuals as well as for their children. Okay, uh, just to, to, to round up, so that was very, very brief. Uh, I know the study is very small, we only have 15 people, but I think it gives us some insights into the processes through which stratification in the graduate labour market is produced. We would suggest that there are real benefits to the participants, but they remain clustered in this <coughs> narrow range of occupations at the lower end of the graduate labour market. And I think the most lovely thing about the study is to see how rewarding the careers were for the participants and to see their personal flourishing. Uh, a longer version of this paper has just been submitted to Studies in Higher Education. If you get it for, to, for review, be nice to it. Uh, <laughs> But, um, but I'd be very happy to send the full copy of the paper to anybody that wanted to see it, because obviously it you know, fleshes out in much more detail the, the questions about the graduate labour market and identity and transitions. <laughs>